You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I am delighted to be joined for episode 21 by James Healy, our social media manager. Hello, James. How are you? Not too bad, Ian. Bit chilly this morning, though. It is a bit, isn't it? Um, I've got the radiator on. I feel a bit like Bob Cratchit. Um, sort of slumped over my over my device next to the fire. It's a bit it's a bit cold, isn't it? We're in danger of we're in danger of making this a bit bleak, and I think we need to be we need to be uplifting, don't we? Because the world needs. I was going to say it needs a shot in the arm. Well, it probably quite literally needs a shot in the arm at the moment. But we need we need we need to uplift the listeners, Jim. We do. Did you have any snow? Did you go out and enjoy the snow? I did. Yes, yes. The the children were up very early doors for that one. And um, yeah, I was, yes, I, you know, I thought it was a wonderful opportunity to have a snowball fight. But um, I think there's elements of the competitive dad in me. And I was uh, I was told off for making my snowballs too compact and aiming for the head, which apparently isn't allowed. Obviously, that that changed from when I was a child. But, um, you know, <laughs> never mind. Were you, were you throwing snowballs at Mrs. Healy? We did go out for a little walk early on because there wasn't much, just a splattering of up here. Um, we went out for a nice walk before it got too busy. But I, did, I didn't throw a snowball at her. I think she would uh, she would floor me if I did that. Oh, well, we don't, we don't want that. No. We certainly don't want that. How's your diet going? Yeah, not too bad. Um, eating steadily. So it's uh, <laughs> back, on, back, on the, um, back on track now. How about yourself? Well, I've got... My wife has prepared for my lunch today this smoothie, which I, I, well, I thought, we'll, you know, we'll do a podcast first. We'll do a taste test. I know it doesn't make great audio, but we'll give it a go. I'm watching. What colour is it? I don't know about that. <laughs> Gordon Bennett. It doesn't look that nice, I have to say. No, I know. I think it's going to keep me regular, though. Christ. <laughs> I'll be losing weight one way or the other. <laughs> right, then. Let's move on with the podcast. Um it's a, we got a bit of a Westbury feel today, uh, which I don't apologise for because um, it's, uh, we, we've got all of our bases covered. We're going to kick off with a, an interview with the manager, one of the joint managers, actually, Lewis Porter. And then we're going to have a chat with the club chairman, um, Greg Coulson. Obviously, Greg's been on the podcast before. But um, if ever there was a time for the chairman, it's, it's this time that we're living in. Because, of course, without any football to talk about, it's all of the goings-on off the field that concern our member clubs at the moment. And finally, we'll be speaking to a real character. Uh, a chap who I was put in touch with because his father played for my hometown club, Portsmouth, which got me very excited. But it turns out that Phil Orford's responsibilities button up tightly under a number of different coats. And uh, the long-term Westbury United fan has got many fascinating stories to tell, including some absolute crackers about Bristol City legend Johnny Attio. But before we get into any of that, we turn our attention to the current Westbury manager Lewis Porter. As uh, is the first time we've had Lewis on the podcast, so it's fantastic to uh, to get a chance to speak to him. And I started off by asking him what he's been doing to keep busy during lockdown. It's been a tough one. I mean, obviously we had the first two. Uh, the lads with the first one were great. You know, we did our as everyone, every club did. We did our Zoom meetings and we did our. Um, Drinking stuff and you know kept, kept the boys going, the, the camaraderie going. Um, it's been a bit tough for this one because we don't really know what's happening. There's no end in sight. Personally, I've just been working and seeing the kids. That's all I can do, really. I mean, you, let's talk a bit about the football. I mean, you had a fantastic result against Bradford on Boxing Day. I mean, I know that's a, a big match that means a lot to you and, and the supporters in particular. I mean, you must have been um, pleased that you managed to fit that game in. Yeah, massively pleased. It, it, the Bradford game it, it is a big monkey on the club's back, really. We haven't been here for such a long time. Um, we beat them in a couple of years ago, but since we've been in, up in the Premier, we haven't beaten them. We tried to play it down as much as we could to the lads, but they were all you know, bang up for it. Um, they're a very, very good side. They, they probably outplayed us on the day. They have much more of the ball um, without really creating anything. We got a goal early. Uh, Strad snuck in the back post. Um, but yeah, it's a great result. Um, Shame we couldn't really celebrate it properly, but there we go. Um, really, really good result. 
And then a couple of days later, of course, you came up against um, Shepton Mallet. I mean, they're um, you know they're they are a good side. Is that as that result that four one victory for them would would suggest? I mean, was that you know looking back on that game, is it was it made more frustrating for you because actually that's the last game you've played um, since we've been in this new lockdown? Yeah, it was. Uh, in fairness, the first thing we need to say with that really is the work that's been put in our pitch over the last few years. We've really invested well in the pitch. Um, and it held up really well after the Boxing Day game. Um, Shepton Lads were saying how good it looked. It was probably, you know, I think it was two days later, it was, it was probably too much for our lads. We haven't got a massive squad. We had to play some lads who, you know, they were on, you know, they were on their last legs last last half an hour. Um, Price had to come off and Steve was struggling. Um, we didn't really have personnel to shake it up too much. But yeah, really disappointing result. It, it's a lesson for our lads. We, you know, we've got a lot of young lads on our side. Really, really good young players, and, and they'll learn from it. And that's all we can ask. Shepton are a very, very good side. Um, very well drilled, know how to play, know the way they want to play. And we were in it for probably 50 minutes, and then they just turned up a notch, and, and we went and we did what we've done a couple of times this season, which is sort of cave towards the last 20 minutes. We did it against Bitten, and they, they battered us at home. Um, but yeah, these are all learning things for our young lads um, and the older ones, you know stay in the game um, and keep keep fighting but yeah it, it was a tough game it was a tough game but you know it is what it is we've only lost three league games up to the lockdown um, yeah it's you know it is what it is I mean under normal circumstances of course you'd have had an opportunity to sort of play um, you know a few days afterwards I think you know you, you had um, Bridgewater uh, a trip to Bridgewater yeah. or the, you know on the 2nd of January lined up and and you'd have had an opportunity to sort of put things right on the pitch, but I mean, have you? Do, do, do these things run through your mind? Do they sort of do they do they do they play on your mind, or have we? I mean, so much water's gone under the bridge by now. I'd have thought you'd probably you, you're probably over that match. Yeah, absolutely. You still think about it, of course you do. You, you don't want to finish. The, since we've taken over, the lads have been incredible for us. Um, they've all stuck together, they've stuck in it, and you don't want the last game, possibly, probably of the season, to be on a defeat and on a negative, because there's been so many positives this season. Um, yeah, we were looking forward to Bridgewater game. Again, very, very good side, tough, tough side, especially away. Yeah, really good lads up there as well. Um, we were looking forward to it. But yeah, it, like you say, it is very disappointing to finish on the Shepton game. Um, but, you know, there's bigger things going on in the world to be disappointed about than that, I suppose, at the minute. Well, when we started back in September, did you think we'd be sat here today discussing another... Null and void season? No, I didn't. Um, I don't think anyone did really. Uh, well, maybe some did, um, but no, I, I didn't think we would be. But I think, I think personally, with the way it's gone, it, it could be the only outcome. Now, I don't think we can, you know, points per game. We haven't played enough games. I don't think that's right. But yeah, it is very disappointing to have two seasons basically written off. Um, you know, it, it's been there's been a lot of change at Westbury. Um, obviously, not you know not just with all of the you know the uncertainty surrounding the uh, this season and and, and, the, and the way that last season finished, but you know, obviously the Kirkpatricks have moved on. They're no longer at the club. So, I mean, what made you decide to uh, to, to step up and take the big job? Look, I mean, Neil and Joe, phenomenal. I, I love Neil. Um, managed me to two. League titles with Larkle and Westbury, uh, great bloke, done a great job. Um, and same with Joe, I've known Joe in a long time. Really, really great, great bloke, love them both. Um, but when, you know, they left the club, the fear, I think, from the chairman was that the team were going to fall apart. And the group of lads we've got are, honestly, they're worth their weight in gold. They are, they're excellent. That You know, they, they stick with us and they could probably play for any team in the league, pretty much, all of them. But they stick around and the chairman was really keen to do that keep them on board so he approached me and Rick and asked if we wanted to um, ask if we wanted to apply to take over we had a chat about it um, you know obviously ex-players close to the lads probably thought it was their best bet of keeping everyone together so yeah we um, we applied we, we, we discussed how we wanted to do things and you know little things we wanted to change a little bit you know we've, we've freshened up the club out uh, the uh, ground Put more money into the pitch. You know, the change rooms have had a had a doing over, like a paint and a, a, a bit of you know a bit of a tidy up. The, the old boys who were around there, Butch's team, done loads of work around the ground. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it was impossible for me and Rick not to step up. Really, uh, we both love the club. We both love the lads, and the, the future over the next few years is looking really, really good. There's some really good development going on the ground, um, which is which is great. Um, so yeah, it was a no-brainer for us really to take over. Heading into your first season in in management, notwithstanding all of the other disruptions and stuff we had to face, what were your expectations going into this season? I mean, our expectations as a pair were, were, was was to beat what we did last year. I think we finished twelfth last season when it got null and void. Um, so anything better than that was, was a bonus for us. We wanted to um, get a good tight squad together that are there for the, you know for the right reasons. You know, it's quite well known within the league that we don't pay a lot of money for wages, but we wanted to put effort into other things for lads, you know, new training kit, new track suits, um, a few incentives here and there, uh, and we've got a really good squad together. So that was, you know, we want to get a good squad together, build something for the future, make it a bit more professional. You know, we've got high standards and the lads, the lads know that uh, and we've demanded that at times and they've reacted really well to it. Um, they've been, they've been fantastic, all of them. Well, I mean, you have made, you know, a bright start to, uh, to this, to this season um, for what it was worth. But, um, I mean, the Premier Division isn't getting any easier, is it? I mean, you had a fantastic first season when you came up, you know, having won the, the first division. But, I mean, what do you make of the strength of the competition in the Premier Division? I mean, not, not just at the moment, but, you know, I mean, in, in the coming seasons, I think it's only going to get stronger. It's the highest it's been for many, 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 many years. I mean, look at the top of the table, you've got Parkway Pit and, you know, Shepton are going to be up there. Uh, yeah, so many good sides about Um so many good players as well. It's really, really tough for anyone to break into that top, you know, eight, six, four, uh, let alone go up. Um, the, the, some of the players that are playing in the league are suddenly players, you know, and they're playing in our division and, uh, and it's very competitive. But saying that, you know, I think most teams can beat most teams on the day as well, which makes it really interesting and, and really, really good. There's a part where obviously fly in. But, you know, they they drop points away. I think they dropped two points away or something. Not a lot, but there's always a chance of a team beating another team. So it's very competitive. It's very interesting. Um, and it, it raises everyone else's standards as well. Our standards have definitely improved because of the other teams around us. Um, this is obviously the first time that we've had you on the podcast. So um, could you tell us a little bit about your... I mean, you mentioned it um, a little bit earlier in the interview, but could you tell us a bit about your footballing journey to the uh, the Westbury dugout? <laughs> Yeah, I started, I'm a Westbury lad, so I started playing for Westbury when I was sort of 17, 18. Uh, played in the Wiltshire on the rain side with, with Ricky and with Lee Davidson, who's Bradford manager. Played for Westbury a couple of seasons, left Westbury and went to play for Trowbridge under Neil Kirkpatrick when I was sort of... Uh, they went to Bradford, stayed there a while, and then back to Westbury, went to Larkhall with Neil, won the league at Larkhall. And then I went, I think I went to Devizes, Westbury, Calm. <laughs> Um, anywhere else in Chippenham Park so I floated around the Western League a little bit came back to Westbury eventually with Neil and yeah won the league there with, with boys yeah and been there ever since so you've, you've, you've done the rounds of the Wiltshire clubs then I have done every Wiltshire club I think apart from Caution and Warminster I think to any player to play for a few sides and, uh, and meet other people and other mentalities and personalities is great um, I wouldn't change any of it really and my thanks to Lewis for his time. Now then, um, Jim, we're going to launch a new feature on the uh, on the podcast, and this is very much over to you because it's James Healy's week on Twitter. Yeah, I've just been looking on Twitter this week of what clubs have uh, clubs have been doing and fans alike as well. So um, yeah, we just thought we'd do a, a quick roundup of little things that people have been doing. So I'll start off with um, with Stoner, who's uh, quite well known for his uh, footy review, footy watch. Um, the Tool Station League. Uh, he he set up a, a good thing for a uh, hashtag of 5K for five days. So he wanted people to get on out, do a bit of exercise, five consecutive days of running, walking, cycling, five kilometres. Um, I thought about joining in. Uh, then the first day I looked out the window and it was hammering down with rain. So uh, I will do it at some point. So I'm hoping that he'll, he'll keep that going. Um because getting people outside during these times is uh, is good for the mental health, and I noticed a lot of um, players joined in, and uh, there was a little competitive streak of who could do it the quickest. I think I saw a couple that were under twenty minutes. I mean, 
I would struggle to drive it in under 20 minutes. So uh, <laughs> fair, fair play to them. But yeah, they've um, he had a good response to that on Twitter. So hopefully he'll keep that going uh, in the future as well. And not just for just for one week and just obviously just encouraging people to get on out and uh, help their mental health and uh, get out a bit of exercise and get a bit of fresh air. But it was, it was nice to see people engaging in that. Um, we've had other clubs doing other bits. I mean, Cribs have been doing on this day in history, which is quite interesting. Uh, today's was quite good. It said not a lot happened. <laughs> <laughs> but they're keeping it going. So to be fair, they've uh, they've been uploading like games that have happened on this day, which is uh, keeps people engaged and keeps people looking at their Twitter feed. Another one is Radstock have announced that they're uh, running 100 miles. So the journey from home and away to Portishead for Nathan. Uh, raising money for uh, for his for his cause, uh, which has gone down really well. So yeah, fair play to them. I mean, again, getting people out, exercising, keeping their players fit. So yeah, running hundred miles on the sixth of February. I think they're doing that. So uh, fair play to them. Uh, another one, Wincanton, uh, a good thing on their Twitter feed where they've got their players management to select their all time eleven, and then putting a graphic up of their all time eleven, and then teaming them up against each other um, and getting fans to vote for which team they think would beat the other team. Uh, so that's, that's quite a good idea, I thought. And again, keeping people engaged on their Twitter feed so they can vote to see who their best uh, best one is. I, so, I, yeah, I hasten to add, up. though, that those, those, those squads that they've been choosing aren't actually Wincanton players, are they? In, un- no, unless, they're not. Un- unless they've been bought by Roman Abramovich without me knowing. Yeah, I think Chris would like some of those players in his squad mind. <laughs> Even now, I expect. Yeah, I expect uh, Dan would still play though with his consecutive run of games. He was well, still that's true. Team. Yeah, he would still still keep going. Um, yeah, and finally Bridgewater, um, they're doing quite a mammoth one really. They're running uh, fifty marathons in twenty four hours. So they've teamed up with the Oval United ladies, uh, and they're all. 50 of them basically doing a marathon in 24 hours you could do it how you like you could run it walk it but as long as you do the uh the marathon length in 24 hours and um, it's got to be done by the 6th of february so i saw bob buckingham's going to be doing it and he said he's gonna he'll be walking it and not running it so uh come on bob <laughs> get your knees up <laughs> excellent stuff now one of the clubs of course that um, uh, really does love its social media is Westbury United and um, one of the drivers behind that has been uh, the club chairman uh, Greg Coulson and it isn't just with that in mind that I wanted to have a chat with um, with Greg because of course as we know recently from our coverage uh, clubs were sent the survey by the by the football association to discuss the um the ways the different methods of concluding this season i thought that was an interesting um topic of discussion to put to greg but actually what's really key is that whilst most of us um are sat around at the moment twiddling our thumbs waiting for football to return there are an army of volunteers out there who still need to keep our clubs going breathing life into them um during the current hiatus and greg is very much at the sharp end of that so i started my conversation with him by asking him what it was like to be a chairman at the moment and what what work still needs doing down at the club when you've got matches coming up you, you've got your your churn of the week you just you're getting ready for the match you're doing all the post-match stuff and at the moment it's a little bit uh, i probably what higgledy piggledy you don't you don't know what each week's gonna gonna entail you you're basically just flying by the seat of your pants really i suppose is what is what we kind of do. You've just got to iron out issues as they come. We're all planning for the worst case scenario, so we've got to start putting that in. I know we spoke last year for lockdown one. I think we said we were all right up until Christmas to continue like that. Obviously, we had football between then and we've had bits and bobs towards the back end of the year, but like I say, we're just we're planning again for the worst case scenario, which is probably not starting again until August. And you don't know what each week entails at the moment, which is a real strange thing. And it's it's hard to keep your your volunteers occupied, especially during lock, lockdown. You've got to keep, keep touching base with people, making sure everyone's still actively involved in the club. Because the worst thing, we've only got a small committee and volunteer pool as it is. Worst thing we want is them drifting away from the game and not coming back when we finally need them for for match days 
I mean, obviously, you're responsible for the site, Meadow Lane, um, although effectively we're mothballed, I suppose, because there's no football going on. I imagine that, you know, that there are still maintenance issues and, and, and cash-out costs associated with the ground. Yeah, we're, we're fortunate we can wind hours quite quite low. We've You've obviously got your insurances that you've got to pay, and then once we go, then switch off all the electric, like I tongue in tweet tongue-in-cheek said on Twitter that time, switch everything off, turn all the water off. We've got quite low outgoings as a club. It's It was the time when we were playing without without fans and then when we went on to play without the clubhouse and stuff, that was they were the real worrying times for us as a club because you were just handing out money hand over fist. We're, we're quite okay to lay dormant as long as when we do get playing again, we get fans, we get the clubhouse open. We've got quite a low outgoing at the moment. It wasn't that long ago, of course, that you will have received the questionnaire from the from the Football Association. Um, can I ask how you, how did you respond? Um, we responded null and void, uh, mainly because I think all this trying to, if they wanted to extend this season or they wanted to roll this season over two seasons, they should have started at the beginning of this year. It, it's real harsh on the guys. You you park ways and teams like that and I've got we've got no problems if they get promoted and they've, they've up, upward fill you can't relegate people off what's happened over the last two years but if they need to move teams up I'm sure there'd be plenty of teams in our league who'd happily have a vote and say look Parkway are by far the strongest team over the last two years if, if they need to fill gaps in the league above off they go but from an absolute like just to make sure next year actually happens, I think we need to draw another line under this one. And null and void is the only sensible sensible conclusion because you've got teams who who share with cricket clubs. You've got for the higher leagues contracts to come in they'll, they'll be legally binding, have to end on a certain date. You've got pitch maintenance that you need to do. You need to start planning for next year. You've got sponsors that we kind of need to go back and negotiate because they've had smaller smaller uh, exposure this year so I think just drawing a line and giving us all time to reset if we can get playing we'll all chuck friendlies in there you saw what happened last time when we were in lockdown we all we're all capable of managing a few few games between ourselves and local and if the league want to get involved and sanction those games I don't see why that's not a problem but from a, the actual Western League or step five and six, I think we think null and voids the the only real sensible outcome. Otherwise, there'll be there's legalities involved in it. Like I said, if if they set up for next year and said if we're still in COVID problems, there's an automatic extension to player registration, to affiliations with leagues, to player contracts over a two year period. Then we could do it next year. We could make sure next year it gets completed. But I don't think they put enough forward thinking in last year. We all knew. Everyone sat there when we were starting this year and said they'll be surprised that this season is completed. So there should have been the plans in place then for this. And there wasn't, I don't think. Or not that I've seen, anyway. I mean, you make an interesting point about the sponsors. Um, and I would imagine that, you know, as much as we are interested in the sporting integrity of this season, we have to bear in mind the financial reality for the clubs across the Western League. You're going to be the man who has to make the difficult conversation of going back to those sponsors who have seen two seasons now um, likely ended prematurely. So, you know, without the opportunity to, to get the maximum bang for their buck. Is that now your biggest concern, whether your support, whether your financial supporters will stick with you? Yeah, I think it's the, probably the primary thing that we're pressing ourselves for, the, the lack of income next year when when a sponsor says, well, I paid full amount last year and I only got a couple of games sort of thing. So, we, I mean, we've got Terry Morgan, Butchie's, Badgering away in the background, and we try to spread our sponsors out over the season, so we're not just getting big lump sums at the beginning, or everything comes in. So, are we in a fortunate position that we've negotiated packages with people for monthly payments, and we haven't been invoicing for those monthly payments? So they've only paid for when we've been active. So a lot of our big sponsors, hopefully, they'll continue with that agreement onto next year. So we'll just start invoicing again 
when we come into the new season. Um, we've got a couple of new sponsors in the pipeline and we've just basically said to them, look, this is for next season now. So, yeah, it's it's the current ones. The ones that have already paid up full for this season, I think there's going to be a few few bits of give and take. I'm sure, I mean, we've got fantastic and we've got a lot of a lot of small sponsorships and that, that's not been uh, derogatory to the sponsors. We've we've constantly tried to go out and just get lots of little bits so we, we're not beholden on to one big sponsor. So hopefully, because it's just a little bit out of your company or a little bit out of people's pockets, they'll be happy to, to sponsor us again next year and it's not one big company offering us thousands and having to renegotiate that or find that big hole. We, we'll have holes here and there. We'll work hard with our sponsors and we'll give them good value for money. We'll we'll double down. We'll we'll give them lots of social media coverage over the summer. We'll make sure we're doing our best for them. It's a partnership at the end of the day, and we do try to to give as as good as we get. It, our our social media is the big one, and our website where we can give them good time, and that's what we'll do. We'll redouble down our effort on that side of things because they haven't had the exposure through photography shirts um around the ground stuff like that so yeah we'll we'll do a bit of forced forced promotion i think is probably our idea but yeah it's going to be a a lot of tough conversations and hopefully we'll keep them all on board they'll understand what's gone on and hopefully businesses aren't being affected by covid which is the the real problem if you've got companies and jobs going it's the real 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 problem around here i suppose one of the other um, landmarks on the horizon uh, at the moment is the FA's own restructuring plans. And, of course, under normal circumstances, that would have been done by now. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the interview that, you know, if, if things get uh, moved about at all further up the pyramid, then, you know, that could... A, a, a restructuring without completing the season could actually see Parkway moved into the into the Southern League. In terms of where Westbury may sit within that, um, the restructuring is, is likely to change the Western League's Premier Division landscape quite substantially, uh, and, and you will really be on the front line of that in, in Wiltshire. So is that an added concern for you at this difficult time? It's a real, um, real unknown and something we really don't want after first. We, we're a Western League club, we always have been, but there's obviously... We're right on the border there and we could end up Wessex League. Um, I get told all the time players don't want to play in the Wessex League and they want to be Western League players. But I think if every other week's down Cornwall, is that any different to going to Hampshire and going to the Isle of Wight? I'm not sure how it would pan out. But yeah, we nothing against the Wessex League. I, we, we don't know them. We play their teams regularly and in the Vars and things and we always seem to do well, but... The Western Leagues, where we've we've built our our friendships and relationship with the Western League board, I I hope <laughs> I'm pretty sure we do. Um, and like with yourself and other clubs and stuff, it's only really the, the rivalries on the pitch that we where any of our trouble comes from on the on the pitch. But it's it's more for competing on the pitch as opposed to a just like a clubs. There is an ob- there's obviously an awful lot going on. I mean, from your perspective, though, is you know, do you think that the restructuring at this time is perhaps something that you would rather not be faced with? Um, it's one of them. It, it it needs to happen, doesn't it? The FA have, have said it, they want to do it. They're, they're hell bent on doing it sooner or later. So just get it done. I think we'll all settle down. We'll, there'll be clubs who feel they should be moved up instead of other clubs throughout the country from a Westbury point of view I think we're five clubs out of the Western League we, we'd hold our hands up and volunteer and expect to be part of that um, at least part of the conversation but if it's if it's your ones and twos from each one I think we can all identify which teams have been strong over the last few seasons and probably have, have earned it on the pitch yeah if it, if it needs to and get it done I think we just constantly just postpone these things and it gives it gives your social media a very boring tone when it's just you'll spend the summer just seeing about what the FAR and I are doing right if they just get it done and no one can complain once we start playing football again everyone will forget about it so it's probably the best time for the FA to be fair there's enough going on that might get unnoticed <laughs> 
I mean, let, let's try and finish on a sort of a positive note because looking ahead, although you know the current environment is pretty bleak, um, that you know with the vaccinations, we you know there will be a time when we're hopefully out of this. So, I mean, when that time does come, from your perspective as the chairman of a football club, I mean, what do you think the biggest challenges ahead of us are going to be? I think it'll be getting the crowds back, getting the players back into the rhythm of playing every Saturday. Uh, a lot of people have, have lost the regime in their life. Um, I was saying the other day to, to Chris, our club secretary, about uh, I don't even think I can remember how to, how to do a match day, how to prep the pitch out. And, and I think it's that getting us back into the groove of, of playing football week in, week out. We haven't had it now for well over a year. And it, it just seems... That's, I think, the biggest risk for clubs. If you go and you're starting to have to play with crowds, half of what they were, one week you might get good attendance, next week you might not see anyone because there's just that that rhythm. And I hope, I hope that we don't try and rush and get this back as soon as we pull the pin, everyone's safe, we can go and play football, we can go to the pub again, and we don't try and rush to get back into it because you've got to remember personal problems is people haven't had holidays people they've had a lot of time off work or a lot of time off football but they haven't had holidays they haven't had breaks it's been a lot of stress since last March and so what, what you don't want is right we can play from June and everyone just starts let's get the league on let's get this on let's get that on we, let's just have a have a break let people have a holiday especially the, the volunteers who work hard behind the scene the, the players They'll, they'll be best for it if they can have a good summer, come back in September and we start the drumbeat of football again until it starts raining and then we, <laughs> then we have to deal with the rain next next winter. But yeah, it, I mean, I can't wait to, to get going, but I think we've got to be real cautious around attracting people back, getting back into the rhythm of things and also just remembering that we're all people and we've all had a, a tough tough time since COVID so we just need to make sure people are well rested and they're coming back for the love of the game and not getting forced back because they've had nothing to do and now this is just something to do we're all probably going to have to fall back in love with it again and remember what what it was that gets you out of bed on a Saturday to check that pitch and to go on, go on training on Wednesday night for the players and stuff like that I think it, it's going to be difficult difficult time next season I think especially when the when the struggle comes of the dark nights and the, the wet winter next year, we'll, we'll still all be recovering from this and it'll be slow slow next season just to get us all back up to speed, I think. Greg, thank you very much as always for, for speaking so openly. Uh, it's great to have you back on the podcast and hopefully the next time we speak we'll actually be able to talk about some football. If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Uh, now, one of the uh, the features that Greg's kindly come back to us on is the Unsung uh, Hero campaign. That's been something that we've talked about on the last couple of weeks on the podcast. Jim, how's that going? Very well. We've uh, had more responses this week from clubs, uh, people nominating their uh, their Unsung Heroes. Uh, so we've got a few few lined up. At the moment, we're publishing them on a Wednesday and Saturday, but the rate they're coming in, I think we'll have to up that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going down really well and just shows the hard work that people put in to keep the clubs running. Well, one of the uh, the people that Greg got in touch with us about is a chap called Phil Alford, who's a man with a very long association uh, with uh, Westbury United Football Club, indeed one that was recognised by the Western League um, 10 years ago, in fact. So the fact that he's still going just goes to show how committed Phil is. Um, but Phil's interest and support for, for Westbury is far greater than just his own lifetime. It, it spans a, a family's history. And uh, it was really with that in mind that I wanted to speak to him about his 
his memories of uh, of not just Westbury United, but some of the fascinating people that have been involved in football in his life, including John Attio, uh, a name that many Bristol City fans, of course, will be familiar with, and not forgetting Phil's own father, who played for my hometown club, Portsmouth. Um, anyway, I start off our conversation by asking Phil if he can remember his first game at Meadow Lane. My first game at Meadow Lane was for a Westbury youth team. Uh, we had a there was a youth team that was quite uh, quite big down Meadow Lane at that time. We had a couple of guys, a guy called Bob Olger, um, the local undertaker called Campbell Millard. They were running the team down there. Um, so my first game was was at Meadow at Meadow Lane was for Westbury youth, and then it progressed on from there to the. The reserves, uh, my, most of the reserves and the youth players that I were playing with at that time were getting to play in the team. And my dad was manager, Will Fulford, was manager at Meadow Lane at that time while I was in the youth team. Being his son, I didn't get picked for the, the first team like the rest of the youth, like Terry Morgan, he got picked. Jeff Steer, Terry Dowell, they all got picked to play for the first team at times because we had a very strong youth team. But I, but I didn't figure, I'm afraid. I, but I figured in one game when Dad was manager, and that's when we went to Emerton one Saturday to watch the Wilts League game. Dad was managing the team, and somebody didn't turn up, and they were short. So I was allowed to play that day. I wasn't feeling very well, and I had a bit of flu about me, but I had the best game of my life. And that was just to show Dad what I was capable of, I think. And how long ago was that? That would have been 55 years ago, because I'm 70 now. So was it your father's connection with, with the football club that, that, that drew you to um, to be a Westbury supporter? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I used to go over with Dad on his bike. He used to have um, a bike with a seat on for the your children, as you did in those days. I used to have a little saddle on the back or on the crossbar. So I used to go over with him on the crossbar of his bike, but it was a seat there. Um, and then he would play and I'd be running up down the touchline. Okay, you know, I don't know how old I was then. Not very old, obviously. Um, and then what would happen after the game, he would be cycling back towards Bill Marsh and Mum would come and meet us with the pram with the other two children in. And then he'd help push the pram up there and we'd all be back in Dilton Marsh. So your dad um, managed, he, well, played for the club and he managed the club, um, but you've had a number of jobs in your time at the club as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've... Um, I've done most things, actually, I think. I've done uh, youth team manager, reserve team manager, first team manager, chairman. I'm life president. I don't know what it represents or what it stands for. But I am, oh, I am a trustee. I am now a trustee of the club. And you still get a lot of enjoyment going down and watching the side at the moment? Yeah, yeah, still got in there. And we got, um, I think you probably know that we, there's a, um, they called the clean-up gang. You heard of the clean-up gang? Oh, very much so. Yeah, so you're, obviously you'd be being in contact with Terry Morgan. You've probably heard a, a lot about it. But, but it's, um, it's about between the ten of us, I think, in total that go down there, or have been going down there. And thanks to Terry, he's the one who's organised it all. And we've all been involved in bringing the well, Meadow Lane back to life. It's a... Uh, it's a different place to look at and, and be involved with now with the, the way that the amount that's been put into the, the ground itself. Um, and a lot of fundraising as well, selling pitch side boards and all sorts of things that raises money for the club. Um, mostly, as I said, down to Terry Morgan. But the other, other nine guys have contributed in a big way, so... Uh, do you get as much pleasure out of that, uh, um, particularly when, you know, we're, we're obviously in lockdown... Do you get as much pleasure out of that camaraderie with the clean-up gang as as you've got with the you know with the team's performances on the pitch? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's yes, there's a big yes to that. Because you've mentioned um, um, Terry, and I know that there are you know there are other people there as well. But I mean, you know, you've had a long association um, with with the football club. I mean, what? Have there been any other individuals, you know, in the time that you've been involved with the, with the club that have, have left a lasting impression on you and at Meadow Lane? A guy called Eli Manassi is, um, is was and has been Westbury United out and out through and through. And, and there's a job to find anybody to match 
In fact, I don't think you'll find anybody to match what Eli Manassi done down Meadow Lane down from West Pernod Football Club. He was, um, um, well, I'll talk about the jobs that I've had down there. He, he had every job that was going off the pitch as well as the ones I had on the pitch. He, was, uh, he looked after the bar, he bought the beer, he, he mowed the pitch, he picked the prisoners up from... Um, Earl Stoke on a Friday Friday morning. They were allowed the prisoners on a Friday morning were allowed out and it was, as long as they were under supervision, certain prisoners were allowed out to help with local organisations. And there was a referee called Don Morgan that was a prison officer at Earl Stoke. Um, he arranged with Eli to have some of the prisoners out on a Friday and they built um which is still standing there, they built a tractor shed. Only just standing, mate. They built a tractor shed, and then they built another, another smaller shed that was known as Viv Carter's shed. There's another legend, uh, a guy called Viv Carter. He used to. It was his second home, was Meadow Lane as well, right up to the end. Uh, but Eli, Eli got the grants for everything. As I said to you earlier, he he got the grant for the wall, which is the perimeter wall in the pitch. He got the the grant for the fence, the perimeter fence around the ground, and also he got the uh, grant for the drainage, which has stood us in good stead with what he'd done with the pitch and how it's been played. He, Eli Manassi would definitely rank as number one, no matter how many years you go back, he would rank as number one there in Meadow Lane. Well, let's talk about um, some of the, 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 the players that you've, uh, that you've known, and there was one... And famous name in particular, wasn't there, that I think you've, you've got a very close connection with? Yeah, John Atio. played for... Um, he, actually, he actually signed for Portsmouth, you know, this guy did. Um, I don't know how it worked out at that time, but he was at Portsmouth and they wanted him to go to Arsenal. But he was a bit of a homer. He stayed, stayed living in Dilton Marsh, signed for Bristol City... Um, and the rumour used to be that he was the first person to create his own contract. He was that, that they were that desperate to keep him at Bristol City, and he didn't want to leave the area, so he didn't go to um, he didn't go to Arsenal. Um, oh, and he, he oh, West Ham United were at a, an FA Cup match. No, not FA Cup, but World Senior Cup match one Saturday, and on that exact day. Arsenal, I think it was that were chasing and then wanted him to go or wanted him to go up to Middlesbrough or Sunderland, somewhere up in the northeast. And he said he couldn't go because he'd already promised to pay for Westbury that day. <laughs> <laughs> so he paid for Westbury. I'm told they won and he scored, but um, I don't know. But he was a he, he's a uh, he's a legend, you know, in in local football. There, any day the, the man was, he was a he was a great friend of our next door neighbours in Dilmarsh, a guy called Gerald Wilkins. He was a great friend of John Atio's and he used to spend time up in the orchard in Dilton High. They had an orchard in Dilton High Street and they used to play uh, during the summer months. John had his new boots made, personally handmade for the following season and uh, Gerald would be up there playing cricket with him in the, um, in the orchard and he'd be running his boots in, so to speak, ready for the following, following season. And uh, how I come to be going now? I delivered milk to um, the story, and I delivered milk to um, to Atio's house, along with a lot of other people's houses in Dilton Marsh. And um, one day I went round there, and he was training to be a school teacher. And he said, "Do you get to bring any homework home?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Would you like to bring it to here and to my house, and it'll help me learn to be a teacher as well as teaching you to learn what you got to learn?" So. I went up there and then we was uh, we were in his house one night and Mrs. Atio said, do you want to go and watch John play? So I said, oh, I'd love that. So I went one evening game. I went down with Merm and John in, in their home and Minx down to Bristol City, watched them play Crystal Palace. They won 2-1. I know he scored the winning goal, but I don't know if he scored the other one, but they won 2-1 and I thought I had cracked it in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, one of those things that you'll never get come round again, you know. But over the year, the years after he retired from football, there's um, quite a few pictures about, and I've got some here as well, where he um, 
he went down to Meadow Lane when when they won the league in 1992. They had a presentation evening, and then he he came along and presented the trophies along with my dad and another guy who would uh, warrant a mention is a guy called Les Blythe, who was a coach, football coach, um, down Meadow Lane. He was a gentleman and a scholar, he was. But he was, uh, he was physio, you know, he was your physio, he was your, your trainer, he was your bucket man. He was, uh, but he was a very technical sort of person and a, a proper gentleman as well, he was. He, and he'd done the, when well, Dad was manager then Westbury, and we went with him for all the games that if Dad, I was a member if Dad had anything to find out or he weren't sure but he'd always go to Les Blythe he was a guy that came from Trowbridge I'm told he was at Wolverhampton as a goalie during the previous years but I don't know whether that's right or wrong um, that's another name to for people to remember well there's another one I, I want to talk about and that's your dad from the records that I've seen um, I, I don't think John Attio ever actually played for Portsmouth but your dad did didn't he? Yeah he did obviously the war came along and curtailed that it was in 1938 he signed I think that's why he said yeah it was uh, 29th of October 1938 he signed for Portsmouth but he um, he obviously missed out because of the war coming along in 1939 I don't know how old he was at that time, but he went off to war, so he missed he missed the FA Cup final, which I th- I'm told, I don't know how true it is, I'm told he played in the preliminary rounds, because they didn't even have substitutes then. So, you know, you know, they couldn't have said, oh, sorry, Wilf, or Nogger, as he was known. Sorry, Wilf, you couldn't, you, you know, you're left out today because you'd be on the bench. It's, you're left out, and that's it, you were left out, because... It was only 11 players, weren't there, in those days? Still an, an incredible achievement um, to have played at the highest level of English football at that time. I mean, there was nearly 100,000 people at that Wembley final between Portsmouth and, and Wolverhampton. And, I mean, you know, for your dad to, to come that close to actually featuring it in, a, in an FA Cup final, it's an, it's an incredible story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we should have made more of it. We should have got more info on it. The, the only thing I can remember, I asking Dad about his football, was I said, what did they teach you when you were at Portsmouth? And he said, to look after yourself. Of course, in those days, they could kick you to pieces and still not get sent off or booked or or anything. And so he, he, he said, all we taught was to look after ourselves on the pitch because it was quite physical. But but what you do know, of course, is how much he signed for because you have a copy of his contract, don't you? So I mean, what was what was what was on offer then back in 1938 for a top level footballer? Uh, I've got it here. Um, on behalf of the club, hereby agrees that the said club shall pay the said player the sum of three pound ten shillings per week from the 19th of October 1938 to the 6th of May 1939. And then the said player shall receive all bonus allowed by the football association and leagues. The said player shall receive the sum of £10 for signing on bonus. And then the said player shall receive the sum of £6 per week when playing in the first team. Yeah, so he was getting £6 a week, which I'm led to believe that that was the maximum wage at that time was £6 a week. Um, and that was if he played in the first team. If he did play in the first team, he got his apprentice money of three pound ten shillings. The ironical thing about that was I went, I started my apprenticeship at the age of sixteen as a local, as a mechanic at a local garage, and I got three pound eighteen <laughs> for my weekly wages. <laughs> so there weren't a lot of difference in it, really, was there? <laughs> Phil, it's, I mean, it's fantastic to hear your, your you know, your, your, your memories of, of your father. I mean, uh, just before we go, uh, let's bring it back to Westbury, which is where it all began. When you look back on your long association with the club, and, and you, as you were telling me before we spoke, it's a, an association that was recognised by the by the Western League. Um, you know, what are some of your favourite memories, uh, and and are they are they on the pitch? You know, are there particular games that stand out, or are there other occasions that that sort of live long with you over your you know your time with the club? Both occasions that the first team have got promoted 
from Western League One to the Western Premier League. Those were two two massive events. The one, the more recent one, has, has obviously comes into that because that was um, quite a nightmare, Medellin, that night when they they secured the winning promotion. And then back in 1992, that was a, a special. That was a special season. That was the whole thing was was something special. Uh, but one of the uh, one of the one of the evenings, one of the events that sticks in my mind for more than one reason was when we um, had the floodlights installed at Meadow Lane. That's another thing Eli got was the floodlights at Meadow Lane. We played Southampton. Ooh. We got our lights on. That night, so we're christening of the lights and switching, switching on of the lights. And um, they brought a very strong team up, um, like Sir Alan Shearer. He couldn't play, though, because he wasn't old enough at that time, but he was there along in training kit that night. The Tizier, they had a, they had a really strong side, Burbage in goal. They brought a really strong side up. I think I think we lost 12, 12-0 or 12-1. But... Um, the other reason it sort of sticks with me is I've been playing in the uh, first team. I've been captain of the first team the previous season, but I uh, I couldn't get in the team by the time the switching on of the lights come round. So, oh. <laughs> I had to set up a team in camera day and taking a few pictures. <laughs> so that is a, a night to remember. But the the, um, the other night, another night I got to remember was not for a Westbury United night, it was for a Warminster Town night. It was because Dad, um, when he finished playing at Meadow Lane, he was, cause he was a painter, decorator for Holdaways. He went to see, I don't know why, he, he was working for Holdaways. Holdaways subsidised Westbury United in more ways than one. Um, but Dad left Westbury United and went to Warminster um, and for the first time and the only time, Warminster won the World's Premier League and the World's Senior Cup. And that's the only time that they've ever won it. I think to this day, it's the only time they've only ever won anything. And the reason it, um, it sticks in my mind, I was there with my sister. And I think I must have been about seven and she was probably five. And they stopped behind to celebrate winning everything. Uh, at the local pub just down the road, and me and the me and my sister were in the the jug and bottle, <laughs> and I I think we got home at one o'clock that morning, and and Dad sadly curtailed celebrations. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it probably come the closest he comes to come to murder in our house. <laughs> <laughs> he took us home at one o'clock in the morning. And, and then was he depressed? <laughs> so that was a, a night to remember for all the wrong reasons. So uh, I've got a write up here of a program that you used to go in the weekly program. And it's got Nogger Alford. Uh, the Nogger Alford thing was uh, quite a common thing when he was playing on the right wing down Meadow Lane and this crowd would be buzzing with come on Nogger and he used to hate it he hated being called Nogger nobody really knows where it came from but um, that was an, another little thing um, and for those of you who supported Westbury United this is one of Eli's notes I think much longer than me the name of Wilf Nogger Orford is synonymous with the club this, this Saturday Wilf and his wife Memorial celebrated the 50th wedding anniversary, and I'm sure everyone in the club send their congratulations and best wishes for a wonderful day. Nogger played for Westbury in the mid 30s before being contracted to Portsmouth in 1938. Off he went to Fratton Park, and fortunately the war intervened and his career was interrupted by military service. After the war, Wilf could have gone back to Pompey or on to Everton, but he declined both, a decision he has always regretted. After the war, he continued to play for Westbury on the right wing and was a supplier of crosses for John Attio to feed off. Uh, yeah, actually, John Attio was actually playing with me dad down there, even though he was only, I think he was about 17, something like that, very old, to feed off and set his career on a path to international honours. Wilf later managed Westbury and the highlight of his managerial career probably being a home draw and then an away victory 
over the then mighty Vauxhall Motors in the Amateur Cup. And I always remember they, they had to go, they went away and they won 3 0. And there was a guy called Ted Calloway playing up front. Calloway is quite synonymous with Westbury, to be honest. And uh, he was, Ted Calloway was playing centre forward and he was a pig farmer. And he was a farmer. And um, after the game, the, the centre half, who'd been trying to mark Ted, who scored a hat trick that day, um, he, there was no finesse about the guy whatsoever, but he scored a hat trick that day and he went up to Dad after and he said, Where did you get that centre forward? And Dad said, oh, he's just a local farmer that plays for us. And, and the, the guy from Vauxhall Motors lifted his shirt up and he said, I should think he did. And he showed our, our daddy's chest and his belly. He was black and blue all over. And he had a rough time with Ted that day. Not only did Ted score three goals, he, uh, he ended up getting a, a, a rough time out of it. And so it says, Will also managed Warminster for two seasons. And in that brief period, our neighbours enjoyed unprecedented success, winning the World County League Championship in the World Senior Cup. Sons and grandsons have gone on to play for Westbury, and it would be difficult over the last 50 years or so to find Westbury and I team of some sort without an Alford on the sheet. Yeah, there's no Alfords playing down Meadow Lane now, but they're coming through the youth team. <laughs> it's... Um, is one of my grands, one of my grandsons, actually, but he's a picker now, not an Alford. Well, that's close enough. And um, I mean, that's that, it, is, isn't it? <laughs> it, Phil, it's been absolute. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so very much for taking the time to share that's those okay. memories with us on the Tool Station Western League podcast. Really look forward. Hopefully, when we get back playing, it will be beautiful to come down to um, to Meadow Lane and, and and take in a game with you. And um, yeah, and hopefully, it won't be that long. We we get to watch um, we get to watch your grandson. Thank you for bearing with us, listeners, um, because I know that that interview with Phil was a lot longer than we normally do on the podcast. But I think you'll agree with me that the stories and the depth that Phil gave us in that 20 minutes was um, was really... It, 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 I couldn't have done it justice um, by taking away uh, any, of that, um, any of that content. Personally speaking, one of the things I found most fascinating was the living history element of what Phil talks about. Phil's experiences in his life, our connection with the past uh, and the games that we love. And of course, it wasn't just Westbury that we were talking about, also Warminster, obviously Portsmouth, even Southampton got a mention, not to not forgetting the uh, the John Attio connection at, um, at Bristol City. So um, a lot there for football fans in our region to be interested in. Now, of course, Jim, you used to work at Bristol City Football Club. I appreciate it wasn't that... Uh, wasn't so long ago that John was still playing, but um, he's a he's a character that casts a long shadow over Bristol City Football Club even today. He is, yeah. I remember when I first joined, uh, he was one of the first names that my old boss mentioned to me. That I remember him saying, "This name, you'll hear this. You'll keep hearing this name as long as you work here. You'll keep hearing the name Johnny Attio." Um, obviously, now he's got his statue down there as well at the at the stadium, which pretty impressive when you're walking up the route I take when I go to still go down there and watch is past the KFC past the <laughs> KFC and the first thing you see there is Johnny Attio with his uh, finger up celebrating his uh, celebrating one of his many goals and it, well of course he was a, he was a record breaking goal scorer for the club and appearance holder yeah he was yeah, he was he held the record till 2014 I think it was when captain marvel lewis carey took over by one appearance so Johnny Attio, he made 645 appearances and uh, Lewis overtook him by one before he retired. So he holds a record of uh, 646 appearances for the club. I mean, 645 and 646 appearances. I can't really see that being beaten in a hurry, that's for sure. Yes, particularly in the in the, in the modern era. But I mean, it was a testament to John's... Um, commitment to the club that he obviously managed to rack up that many uh, that many appearances. He got offered to go to various clubs, um, and he was a teacher as well. And I think he just he just loved Bristol City. I think. He, um, but I also I used to hear some stories about him. Just how he was just a generally a really nice fella as well. Same with Lewis Carey. Really working with Lewis, he's one of the nicest blokes I've uh, I worked with in football, um, and I've heard. Johnny Gatti was pretty similar, would do a, do a lot for to help. 
and uh, help people with their careers and was just yeah like I say just a generally nice bloke and knew where the back of the net was probably worth <laughs> a lot of money in uh, in these these days well well I think that's a fitting way to end uh, this week's episode um I think we could you know being nice and being kind is something that we could all do with a little bit of um, at the moment. But, uh, Jim, thank you very much indeed for your time um, this week. And I look forward to catching up with you on next week's Toolstation Western League podcast.